Hey everybody, Chris with Up for Announcements as usual. Um, please be sure to visit the recoveryrevolution.online where you can find a wide um, scope of writing um, by people in recovery um, about experiences across the recovery spectrum from uh, people in very early recovery to people with decades of recovery. Um, it's there at the recoveryrevolution.online. There's lots of fascinating content. Um, and also, please uh, give all the, the pods on sincerightnow.network a listen because they, too, cover um, a pretty wide range of, of ways of talking about recovery um, from pop culture with Slosh Cinema. Let's look at um, drugs and alcohol in cinema to uh, the recently launched uh, Sober Courage pod with Meg Shores that uh, comes at it from a, a family perspective, from a parent's perspective. Um, and uh, lastly, I would really appreciate it if you, have, if you or anyone you know has uh, questions that you'd like answered on this pod, 507-556-7271 is where you can leave a voicemail, and we're going to start trying to answer questions at the end of the show. Thanks. Enjoy. The Recovery Revolution will be podcast on the Since Right Now Addiction Recovery Network. Welcome to the Since Right Now Addiction Recovery Podcast, the podcast of clean and sober, K-L-E-N and S-O-B-R, and SinceRightNow.com, with your hosts in recovery, Jeff, Matt, and Chris. Can't hear myself. Oh, Hi, Chris. Hi, yeah, John. Hi, John. Adrian. Hi. Okay, Hello. so we're gonna Hello. do a quick uh, mic check. Here's Jeff. Hi. This hey, is Jeff, how are you? good. How are you guys? Good and this thing. and this is Matt. Hey, hey guys. Matt, Thanks for joining us. Yeah, I understand we're from the same city. Yeah, apparently Chris just filled us in on that. That's uh, and you got out. So <laughs> well played. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> So, um, <laughs> before we uh, celebrate or disparage St. Louis too deeply, um, let me just uh, do a quick intro. Yep. Um, tonight on the pod, we have Adrian and John, and I'll let you two decide whether or not we use uh, initials or last names. Um, together, they've authored a book, and correct me if I'm right, The Painting and the Piano. Correct. And it's... Uh, it. it, it details your sort of intertwined and individual journeys through addiction and recovery. And then... It's a, it's the, a tandem narrative. Tandem narrative. Yeah. Ch child From childhood um, until, until today. Wow. Okay. So, uh, and we don't care if you use our last names. Okay. okay. Um, right, right, I guess as a... It, it, it's tricky. And it's I think, on the book. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's on the book, right. Um, it's kind of all out there. Right. Um, so uh, maybe let's start there and let's start here, St. Louis. Yeah. So in the pre-call, we found out that um, you two recently moved from St. Louis, which is where we're based. Yep. Um, and you had mentioned, John, that and uh, you'd been a 
active member of the AA community here, if that's fair to say. And again, I, I explained to you in the pre-call, I'm the guy that's not AA or 12 steps, so I always struggle with how to talk about it. Um, right. is, and up up until leaving, or are you still involved? Yeah. Well, I'm still involved. We're in South Florida now, right. where we are. So yeah. we're in South Florida okay. now. Like Miami? Just just north of there. We're looking at the beach Lauderdale. Right now. Oh, nice. Oh, really? Yeah, <laughs> and you guys are looking at an arch. We are. Well, <laughs> not really. Looking at gray, kind of gray. <laughs> um, but yeah, so um, so I started in St. Louis, and I was very, very active in the AA recovery community, and I st- always, uh, and I am down here as well. Okay, where'd you go to meetings? I went to meetings. Well, I started at Edgewood. Yep. So you went to rehab at Edgewood. Yep, I went to I went to detox at Edgewood. Okay. And there was um, a Sunrisers meeting upstairs mm-hmm. from Edgewood in St. John's, and yep. then that meeting split, and we went to Mobap. And that the meeting was there, and then it was called New Day, and that moved to Geyer and Clayton Road, yeah. which is oh, where wow. I met Adrian, who came wandering through the doors. Ah. And then, but we've been to meetings all over St. Lindell Club and okay. all over St. Louis. But okay. that was our that was our biggest meeting. It was called New Day. Okay, fantastic. Yeah, uh, I go to a meeting yeah. on Wednesday nights at Lindell Club now, but I bet half the guys went through Edgewood. Yeah, yeah. don't you think? Yeah. yeah, it's no longer there, right? No, well, it moved out to. To Ballast, yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, excuse me. I moved out to Olive and um, boy, way way out west. Yeah. In Edgewood, and I think they still have meetings there. They still have Edgewood, and it's just not as big as facility. No one can afford re- rehab anymore. Right? That's why they have Harris House, and I heard Harris House just opened up facility. I just heard it today, as a matter of fact. Yeah. I, I know a gentleman was here who was on the board of Harris House. Yep. This evening, and he said they just opened up a big facility out there. They did, and and that's where most of the new guys, you know, if you go through a treatment program, that's it. That's where all the guys that get to me go through at some point, right? A lot of the a lot of the newcomers that come through Lindell Club, that's where my home group is on Tuesday nights. uh, Are fresh out of Harris House or still residents at Harris House? So. That's wow. a special yeah. place in our heart. Yeah. What it is a great place. And did you guys go to meetings around Kirkwood and Webster? Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, quite a few. I, I go to a Saturday 1030 at a church at Webster, a big church. I don't even know what it is, but it's a huge meeting. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, it's yeah. good. It's good, you know. So we what? probably know 10, 15 same guys. I, I, bet, I bet we I bet we do. Yeah. Unquestionably. What a small world. That's fun. Yeah. All right. Now I want some of this. I I, I do what I've called my uh, my three in eighteen, my three meetings in eighteen years. <laughs> and uh, that was uh, these past two years since I started this. Jeff uh, Jeff took me to. I took one you to or one or two. two. Yeah. And I went to one on my own, yep. and uh, yeah, and then another one. Then we went to a smart recovery. Oh right, and then we went to a smart the recovery bus that was right. in uh, Jefferson Barracks uh, Park. Area. Yeah, yeah just little, see what that's that about. That was a little so, intense. Um, smart recovery. Smart recovery is a, a good sort, question. It, it's sort of like a, a an alternative meeting uh, structure. Yeah. To um, AA that is. It's, it's sort of. I. It's a little bit less. Uh, it's more formless, and the, when we had gone, people of all different. Yeah. afflictions and and all different phases yeah. of recovery um from you know people with shopping addictions mm-hmm. to alcoholics drug addicts etc cetera, etc cetera. and uh it's just kind of more of a support group yeah. speak when right. you want to speak cognitive behavior therapy there right. was some kind of psychological grounding of the program some, yeah wasn't there 
Or did I just make that up? Needless to say, for two <laughs> two pretty uh, embedded AA guys in yeah. Jeff and myself, and for Chris, who you know is very familiar with recovery, it was just sort of a, it was a little bit jarring, but I'm glad we went. I'm glad we had yeah. that experience. Yeah. And, and the the interesting the challenges is that there are far fewer meetings to be had. Um, particularly, I think, in a market like St. Louis, which is a little bit smaller. But I just had somebody write um, for uh, the site that just, um, uh, she's got uh, like 30, well, she's going on uh, two months and uh, had been uh, tried AA for a bit and then went to try Smart and absolutely loved it. And um, so, you know, it's a good alternative for, for um, you know, the people that AA doesn't seem to click with. Yeah. Whatever works, works. Exactly. Amen. Um, Chris for, what, 18 years, right? Right, right, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm still figuring it out. but um, And I think we talked a bit before in the, or I mentioned that, you know, I, I've figured out that um, definitely 18 years uh, continuous sobriety, but not necessarily 18 years of continuous recovery. So uh, I'm, I'm getting there. Nice. Um, but, you know, one oh, of the reasons ahead. we moved to South Florida, we had a number of reasons, but mm-hmm. one of them, is we're near Del Rey, Florida, and it's like the recovery capital of the world. Mm-hmm. Right. Is yeah. it really? So, so we go to a lot of meetings here, and there's a lot of strong sobriety. It's just because there's treatment centers down there? Why is that? Yeah, treatment yeah. centers and um, recovery houses. Mm-hmm. There's just tons and tons of um, halfway houses, recovery houses, three-quarter houses, and the community is very supportive of it. Of recovery down here. Oh, so cool. it's, a, it's a made, much bigger than St. Louis. Oh, yeah. that's huge. It's wow. huge. Yeah, I I got sober in Florida I, when I very first got sober twenty some odd years ago. But there, because of all the retirees and all the uh, people transplants, there were so many people with tons and tons and tons of years in Florida because you know that's where they all end up. All this, all the old people, right? That's true. They all the snowbirds come down with all their fifty years of sobriety. Yeah, all these, yeah, yeah, that's cool. But now you have all the young kids right. coming down here and. Maybe they jump over and they hang around down here and, you know, try it again and again. And, mm-hmm. yeah, and they stay down here because it's warm and yeah. there's an ocean. And... Sure. <laughs> <laughs> did, did you guys travel down there and vacation down there and ultimately decide to move down there? How did you end up in Florida? Kind of, yeah. We had um, we had friends down here and we'd come every year to visit and... Um, and then we we initially were snowbirds. Uh, John sold his business in St. Louis, and so um, which is why we decided to write the book. And then we knew we wanted to be down here. And um, the real estate market was we got very lucky and got a place on the ocean, which was our dream. And um, so we just, um, fell in love with this particular area. We looked for a few years at different places, different areas. Uh, yeah. We, this general area, but like, do we want a house or a condo? And then we thought, well, we can afford to live on the ocean if we live in a condo. So here we are. There you go. <laughs> um, so can I, can I redirect us and back us up, to, uh, move us backward to go forward first? Yep. Absolutely. So I'm going to. I don't know if it's the middle, but it's certainly not the beginning. But you had mentioned earlier, back when we're going back to St. Louis, I'm taking this back out of Florida, coming back to St. Louis for a minute. It's so, pretty nice here, but what, go ahead. Okay, well, join us for a minute here. Um, so you had mentioned, you, uh, John, you, you'd gone to rehab here in St. Louis. Yes. Um, and then 
uh, I, I don't know, was it, uh, and I'm, I'm assuming, uh, or I won't assume, was alcohol the, the primary and sole substance that both of you are in recovery from in terms of substances? My, my was, alcohol was the drug of my choice, and okay. Adrian. Mine was pills. Okay. Um, and so then, uh, did you, had you both been to rehab? I, I, I went, my sobriety day is January 5th of 1999. Okay. And that's when I um, started my detox at Edgewood um, in St. Louis. Um, that was part of St. John's Hospital back then. Mm-hmm. And Adrian went to rehab. Why don't you go ahead? I went to rehab um, in California in Newport Beach. Oh. And I was there for about 90 days and um, came back. And actually, when I was out there, we had to go to a 6.30 a.m. meeting. And when I got home and I looked at where the meetings were, there was a 7 a.m. meeting, literally like the church right next door to my house. That's cool. So I was like, this is easy. And mm-hmm. that's where we met. Ah. I think that, that's where I was, I was getting back to. It's like, yeah. so, right. so you walked into that meeting that, that you, John, had been going to. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I had been going to that meeting for, gosh, almost five, six years by that point. And my business that I sold, I did Dog Watch Hidden Fence Systems, which is a dog containment company. Oh, I wish you were here now. We just had a dog escape two <laughs> nights ago. Yeah, he had a runner. It was a nightmare. <laughs> Sorry. All number of the people who bought it from we me. Had but, a okay. But I had actually put in two fences for Adrian. Oh, okay. And ah. she, she came into the meeting, and we both looked at each other and go. We know each other. How do we know each other? And ah, she put in two fences for me. Oh, and I my go, gosh. Oh, my God. Because I was just about to accuse you of 13th stepping, Adrian, but I guess I won't because you guys knew each other probably. <laughs> Vice versa, but, it, but it's, it's, it's close. It's pretty close, John. I'm not judging. <laughs> well, here's what happened. So Adrian came into the meeting, and when she spoke, she had a lot of knowledge and she was different from a newcomer. Okay. And I really couldn't put it together. And then finally she said, well, I came through the back door and I was going to Al-Anon for a few years before I found AA. And that's what kind of started everything is we became friends and we were friends for six, six, eight months um, until we really got to know each other before we started dating. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. And um, so it's like borderline 13 seconds. <laughs> no, that sounds legit. That sounds legit. Well, no, the funny thing is, is I would call my sponsor every day. Yeah. And my sponsor said she was going on vacation. And she said, you know what? If you can't get a hold of me, call Johnny. He's safe. Oh. So that's how the calling starts. Wow. So sponsor you sanctioned. Sponsor sanctioned guy. That is hard to do, brother. And when you're when you're new in recovery and your sponsor tells you something's okay, yeah. that's like you don't need any more permission. <laughs> that's it. Especially like I was like, you know, I wanted to be sober so bad. I would have done anything they told me to do. And, yeah. and it really did. It started out very the thing was he would make his business calls at night, like after five, and I would call and really, I mean, his it was really conversations were just very inspirational like he'd give me examples of people who you know had felonies and like look at where their lives were today Mm -hmm. and just all kinds of examples and really that's I mean that was 
helped me tremendously. Were, mm. were you a train wreck coming in? Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> Who I was mean, the I, bigger train wreck coming into the... I, I, I have pretty low bottom. Did I, you? If you if you read in the book, I, my bottom was pretty low. Yeah, and um, and I don't think Adrian's was quite. My as low. bottom wasn't low, but I think I was a train wreck in the sense that you know, I had three teenage daughters. Um, my husband, you know, I come home, he's having an affair. Um, you know, and uh, you know, I knew I had to get sober to figure out what to do with the marriage. So. Yeah. Um, you know, I was just scared to death. I didn't, yeah. you know, I, your life I, was a mess. I was full of rage, you know, mm. I, cause now I had nothing to anesthetize my feelings and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and my girls didn't, you know, they didn't handle very well. I mean, they were sixth grade, uh, let's see, sixth grade, eighth grade and 10th grade. Ooh, so right wow. in the teenage or years, yeah, yeah tween, right. tween age, yeah. tween age. Yeah, I mean, you, John, John, Johnny can attest to it. It was, it was, <laughs> it was brutal. It was yeah. a train wreck. Like yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I was going through a divorce, yeah. uh, bankruptcy. I mean, it just didn't stop. Wow. And none of us ever are like, you know what? I, I was fine. I was fine. <laughs> I just figured, hey, I, you know, it's like taking up jogging. Like, I'm just going to try this new thing. So Exactly. Um, Nobody came to AA on a winning streak, right? Yeah. So true. Yeah. That's funny. I, I'd love to hear some more about the book. I, I have not read it, but I have read, uh, you have a 4.75 on Goodreads, which is fantastic. Um, and uh, the the yeah. process that went into this back and forth kind of, uh, I don't know if monologue, dialogue, but this joint kind of memoir, What, when did you decide to do that? And what was the process like in creating it? You're okay. good at this. <laughs> well, we did, we did, we just, a few years, let's see, it took us about three years to write the book. And, um, wow. and people all along, counselors and friends and family said, you all should really write a book. And it's one of those things that go, yeah, yeah, whatever. And um, I sold my business. And I was they wanting- said that because you both had great stories? Well, no, because of the parallels. The parallels. And that's oh. why it's called the tandem narrative. Yeah. And because of the parallels in our lives. And um, i.e., both of our mothers died from their diseases at age 47. In oh. um, the pit, we both were in big custody battles when we were children. Adrian's was carried um, nationwide. I saw, I saw those newspaper clippings. That's, I mean, just amazing. Yeah, and and so we found these parallels that we both had in our lives. So, so we did. So people told us, and you said you you guys should write your story, and we didn't really know how to do it or how we were going to go about it. Um, but when I sold my business, I go, well, maybe we should look into writing this book. Mm-hmm. And we didn't know anything about writing a book or how we were going to go about it. But we did have the title, The Painting and the mm. Piano. And briefly to tell you that, yeah. story, the, the piano is from my mom. The painting is from Adrian's um, mother. Uh, and My mother, which is my foster mother, but mm. I consider her my mm. mother. Yeah, I refer to my... I'll say my biological mm-hmm. mother. I don't consider her my mother, so I say biological. But gotcha. my mother, her, who her, raised her me. mother, yeah. and that was the painting. Yep. And so when I my parents divorced when I was nine years old, and the piano was wrapped up and put in all the you know moving padding and was put on a skid, and it followed me all over. 
and it was always in storage. It went from St. Louis to two houses down in Texas to when I moved back to St. Louis to two houses there. It had never been unwrapped until wow. I was about age 47, somewhere around there. And Adrian asked me, she moved in with her three girls, and she goes, what's in the basement? I go, well, that's the piano. And she goes, well, why don't we unwrap it and put it up? It never crossed my mind that you should unwrap a piano and put it up. It was just <laughs> going to go to my grave with me. And wow. I go, I don't know. It's never been unwrapped. Yeah. And so anyway, I was at work, and she had some movers move the piano up to the living room and unwrapped it. And when I came home, I walked around the corner, and all of a sudden I saw the uh, piano. And on the sides of the piano, there's gold flake painting. It's just in a stencil mm. that's just embedded in my brain from a little kid. Wow. And I saw that, and I just went completely still. Wow. All the memories came flooding back to me, and they weren't great memories. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, there was, you know, all the drinking and the Christmas trees falling over, and my godfather playing, the, you know, a dirty rendition of the little drummer boy on that piano. And so I kind of avoided the piano for a few days. And, um, it was right around Thanksgiving. Everybody used to come over to our house for Thanksgiving. We'd bake a turkey, smoke a turkey, and deep fry a turkey. So it was, <laughs> it was like the highlight of the year. So the turkey trifecta. <laughs> and so my dad and my dad and my sister came over, and they walked in the foyer, and they turned the corner, and almost the exact same thing happened. They saw the piano, mm. remembered what it looked like, wow. and that that gold leaf paint on it, and you could have dropped a pen and heard it drop that they just went still and i could see the exact same thing was happening to them hmm. they went rushing back to you know 40 plus years ago mm -hmm. when that piano was in the living room and that's where we were told they were getting divorced too oh, wow. the, the painting about the same time adrian had the painting that her mother painted and it was kind of put away in storage and we put it up about the same time the piano went up and we put it in the front hall and Adrian came down the stairs one day and looked around the corner, and there it was. And almost the exact same thing happened. She saw that painting and went flashing back to where she hid behind the couch wow. below that painting. And they were trying, they were dragging her out to take her away in the police car to her biological mother. Yeah. And, and they weren't good memories either. Right. And it was a couple days after that that we kind of lived with the painting and the piano. Mm -hmm. I remember Adrian was upstairs and I was downstairs, and I go, you know. If we ever write this book, we should call it The Painting and the Piano. And it just stuck. Wow. You know, ever since then, it just, we have, it's lived with us and it seems to work and everybody likes a title. And most uh, people, some people want us to change it, but I don't know. We like it. We yeah. like it. And, well, and I'll tell you what, with that backstory, I mean, yeah. totally. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's great. It, and so are both pieces still in the new Florida place? <laughs> No, they're not. But they were, yeah. In fact, when we moved from St. Louis, we moved, sold the house in St. Louis. Yeah. We sold 95% of everything in it. And I was yeah. about ready to heave that piano. Yeah. And then somebody said, wrap it up and put it on skits. <laughs> and I go, oh, no, we're not going to move with the piano again. Yeah. So the piano and the painting are in storage once again. Okay. Do so you and, still possess uh, them? They're just not there. Yes. That's good. Well, we figured if we're ever going to uh, make a movie, which actually somebody is writing a script for a movie mm -hmm. right now. Mm -hmm that we may need those two items so yeah. we hold on to them so well, that's good so they will move once again with us at some point so we still have them but wow. but that's the backdrop of the whole story of how we came up with the name and yeah. that's where we started with the book and we uh we just started talking to people and writing things and 
recording our thoughts and we went back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and finally we started and um and that's kind of the backdrop to the story wow. that's, what, that's how it started so when you when you talked about the parallels of your stories one of you mentioned both of your mothers uh passing at 47 from their diseases and i'm assuming that you were talking about substance use yeah, well my my mother was a, a really bad alcoholic and okay. it runs rampant on both sides of my family and um Adrian's mother was a heroin addict. Yeah. And she can kind of tell that story, but yeah. her mother basically died of her disease and um, drugs, and my mother died of alcoholism. I eventually became an alcoholic, and Adrian became a drug addict. Yeah. Wow. And, and so we did, there's so many parallels that yeah. come along. I mean, my biological mother, well, she died of liver failure, and it was mm-hmm. heroin and alcoholism. And yeah. um, How old were you when that happened? I was 14. So she won you back at nine and you lived with her for five years? Yeah, I, yeah. Well, I went back. Wow. Start at nine. So at 10, like the month before I turned 10, Mm -hmm. I went back. And the first couple of years, you know, the court system, they were like, supposedly they were rehabilitated because they were on methadone. Yeah. So crazy. I, I mean, really crazy. And then, um, what happened after that was th- they kind of held it together for a couple of years, mm-hmm. but then she continued to just get worse and disappear. And um, so it really kind of ended with living with her, my biological father, for a while, and then going back to her. And she ended up back on heroin and... Um, before I made it back to my parents, uh, and I won't get into all the details, mm. but we lived with a family upstate New York because that was the only place Elaine would, uh, my biological mother, would agree for me to go. Yeah. And Herb predicted, he said, I predict she will be dead or in jail within six months to a year. And six months later, he called and he said she went to pick up her methadone and they admitted her to Coney Island Hospital in Brooklyn. Mm. And she died two days later. Wow. That was the happiest day of my life. Wow. Because I knew Just that relieved. I had a chance to get back home. Yeah. yeah. And did you then go back home? It took uh, about six months. And um, the woman, the family that we lived with, between me and her persuaded him to let me go back and he yeah. drove me back to Long Island and wow my mom you know we signed some papers at a notary and he left and she wrapped her arms around me I and bet. sent my baby's home wow oh, oh my wow. gosh oh my god that's crazy it's crazy yeah i mean pretty crazy is your mom still alive my both my parents um, my biological father died of, about six years ago, yeah. and my parents who raised me. My mom passed away when I was pregnant with my youngest, okay. so she's 22, from okay. breast cancer. But my dad passed away right after I was a year sober. Oh. So... Um, yeah, and he, him and my brother visited me in rehab in Newport Beach. And uh, my brother reminded me it wasn't my first detox. Oh, right, because you were detoxing in the womb. 
Yeah, well, at Bellevue Hospital, actually. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's what they do with babies born addicted. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, yeah, you were born addicted. I was basically. literally born addicted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, my biological mother went to, she wanted to ha- give birth to me at some place called Poly Clinic. Yeah. She was hemorrhaging, and they s- looked at her arms. They said, we don't accept junkies here. <sighs> And they put her in a cab and sent her to Bellevue. Oh, and then, you know, she, I had, I, I don't know how long I was in the hospital, but I think it takes a few months. Mm. Yeah, I'm sure. Detox a baby. Yeah. Wow. Wow. There's so many questions. Well, reading that part where your biological mom comes to get you from your, the mom who raised you, like, and the press is all there. I mean, I can't imagine. Do you just remember that? Is that like this? Oh, yeah. Just. I, I mean, I remember they like I would, you know, I got to know a lot of the reporters during that yeah. year. So, like, they're filming me eating breakfast, and it, you know, I didn't really, you know, I wasn't really bothered. I was kind of used to it by then. Yeah. But then I think I heard someone say she's here. Yeah. Mm. And I remember uh, just hiding behind the chair. Mm. And then I was screaming and yelling, I'm not going to go. And then they took me downstairs to my brother's bedroom and the social worker and my parents and Elaine was there. And um, she promised that if I left, you know, I could come back. Mm. So you held on to that hope. Yeah. And everyone persuaded me to, you know, leave. I guess they didn't want to. I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. Did you um and were you an alcoholic as well? Did you drink a lot or did you just at some point get hooked on pills? Just casually okay. get hooked on pills? I I mean I partied. I mean I partied in high school. I tried everything. Yeah. Um, college and then you know I didn't more of a binge drinker. You know when I was my kids were young, like on the weekends. But really, um, I got addicted to pain pills from surgeries. Mm. Gotcha. Yeah, I've had many surgeries on my spine. Uh, and the last surgery, though, you know, I was off it for a long time. And then the last surgery, when I was in St. Louis, and um, my marriage was terrible. And so I think it was like a perfect storm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I re- just remember getting to a place where I felt trapped and I, I, I've, mentally remember crossing that line and going F it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't care. Yeah. And then there was no going back. That's How so- about you guys? I know the line. What's, what's John's parallel to that? Like you guys have these parallel lives. Like, so what's, what's John's part in the book that corresponds to that? Well, so when I was nine years old, my uh, parents came to, us and I have a brother and I have a sister and said they were getting divorced and for a very brief period of time we lived with my mother and um, she wasn't able to hold it together and they she was sent away to back then to the Mayo Clinic Mm. in Baltimore and she had electric shock therapy done to her wow and on and on and on they didn't know really they didn't really know what to do with women back in those days and there wasn't a lot of AA for women either I don't think and uh, so she was in Baltimore, and she ended up staying in Baltimore for five years. So we basically had no contact with her whatsoever. Hmm. 
we were raised by a nanny, and she and she jumps off the page in the book. Lizzie, 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 and I were best friends, mm. and um, since I was a little kid, I, I never really knew my mother because she was she was basically put away every night, mm-hmm. so she, because she was so intoxicated, and so Lizzie was my mom mm-hmm. growing up. Yeah. And, um, so at age fourteen, and the years are a little different, but at age fourteen, my mother decides to move back to St. Louis. She remarries. My father remarries at the same time, and there's this big, huge custody battle. And it wasn't carried nationwide like Adrian's. Yeah. It was very, very well known throughout St. Louis. Mm. And uh, like my mother, and I'm not going to say the name of the lawyer. Sure. He's still around St. Louis, but he was a mafia lawyer. Mm. And she had unlimited you know, amounts of money to go after my dad and wow. get custody. Wow. And so the judge decided, I was 14, and so the judge, after hearing all the witnesses took us back in chambers, the three kids, and asked who we wanted to live with. Well, I was age 14, and I said I wanted to live with my dad, and so the judge allowed that because I was 14. Yeah. My brother and my sister were forced to live with my mother oh my God. and my uh, new stepfather, who was alcoholic, too. Oh. And it, it was a, um, at my mom's house, and I would go over every other weekend so I could spend time with my brother and my sister and I'm not going to go into all the details, sure. but it was a pretty messy situation. And um, I really have no other memories of my mother in high school other than she's on the couch in her urine-soaked nightgown, and she can't get off the couch. Wow. I think I went out with her one time in five years from age 14 on, and she died when I was 22. Wow. Um, none of my friends, and I was a pretty social person, as is my family, and none of my friends ever met my mother my girlfriends never met my mother. There was no way I was going to take anybody into the house. And the one time I did, I was bringing my girlfriend over, and we pull in the driveway, and there's an ambulance in the driveway taking my mother away because she fell down and hit her head for the you know umpteenth time. Yeah. And that's basically what killed her at the end of the day. She fell and she hit her head, mm. which is probably the most common way that alcoholic mm. yeah. actually dies. Yeah. And um, so she, so she died when I was 22 and she was a socialite in St. Louis you mm. know she went to Mary Institute and you know she was a special maid in the Bail Prophet mm-hmm. and uh, and you can read about it in the book but there's a sure. very prominent St. Louis family but when she passed away um, my my brother and my sister my stepfather and my aunt we were the only ones at the funeral my gosh. Really? And, um, and she literally had, you know, hundreds if not thousands of friends, you know, in high school, early college. Mm. So it's kind of, it's a real sad story yeah. that where alcohol takes you. Yep. It took me there, too, eventually. It did yeah. the exact same thing to me. Yeah. And I swore I'd never become an alcoholic, and I ended up in the exact same boat. Wow. So when did it turn for you, drinking-wise? Do you remember? Just well, when I, I started at 15, like the normal weekends, yeah. and, you know, it basically progressed and progressed, and I had a lot of fun with it. I'll never say I didn't. You know, in my 20s, I had some great times, but from 30 to 40, it was misery drinking, yeah. and it was just to kill the pain, and um, and that's when really when the consequences started. Um, you know, I got to, ended up getting divorced. And I lost my kids and um, almost lost my business, almost lost my house. When I checked into rehab, um, I had three DWIs. I was three years behind with the IRS. Hmm. Um, they already took away one car, threatening to take another car. They were threatening to take the house. They were threatening to take my business. My friends were gone. My family was basically gone. And there was nothing left except just one big messy pile, and I had to slowly inch my way out of it. So um, it was not a happy ending. And my birthday is December 17th, 
And that's the last meal I had um, until I got sober on January 5th. So I went wow. three weeks almost without eating. Wow. And, wow. I dr- and I drank around the clock. Wow. And so I checked you in. You were a mess. Me. I was, and without being overly dramatic, I don't know if I was hours away or a day yeah. or days away, but I didn't have much time left. And right. they, made, they made an emergency call to my doctor to see what I could and what I couldn't take because they were afraid I was going to stroke out or have a heart attack. And and I was shaking like a paint can shaker in a hardware store. Oh I, I could not stop the shakes. Yeah. And uh, so it was, it was a pretty low bottom. So t- tell me this. So you guys have these crazy childhoods, bury them with pills and booze, just right. these super traumatic childhood. Get, get sober, meet each other. And then did you deal with all that in sobriety and then write the book? Or did this book become this place to deal with mm-hmm. all that? It's a great question. Oh, no, we, I mean, I had been going even prior to that, which I think helped me decide to get sober. I was in group therapy called psychodrama. Mm -hmm. And so I was, and I did it for really, I don't know, maybe five years, even after I got sober, I stayed in that group. So I was working on all my childhood issues. Yeah. Now I had divorce issues, yeah. mm-hmm. issues. So, um, and actually, they, I called, nicknamed it "Beat the Pillow" because we would actually beat a pillow if you had anger or <laughs> if you were feeling fear. Mm. You shake your hands at the yeah. wrist or whatever. And yeah. I mean, so I joke to my kids, "I'm going to beat the pillow." That's funny. <laughs> and um, so, you know, I really had done a lot of work and then you went so, back when we met yeah so i went so i went to aftercare right when i got out of detox mm-hmm. and um about and i was pretty miserable and about six weeks into aftercare and i was going to a lot of a meetings i was going to two or three meetings a day and um my counselor and it was called exodus that program doesn't exist anymore in st louis but it was a great program asked me to write a letter to my mother and i looked at her and i got her name was barb I go, why am I going to write a letter to my dead mother? And I was kind of ticked off about it. But, you know, I was willing to do anything to stay sober Mm -hmm. at that point. I go, okay, I'll go home and try it. So I went home, and I spent three or four hours writing this two-page letter, and I just bawled all the Mm -hmm. way through. I had no idea the anger and the resentment. And I came back to the outpatient group, and I read it to her, and she goes, okay, tonight you need to read it in front of your group. And there were about 14 people in the group, and I'm going – there's no way I'm going to read that. And she goes, just read the, read the letter. So I got up and I read the letter and I bawled all the way through. Mm-hmm. And right there and then I physically felt a dark gray cloud or shadow lift off of my shoulders. Yeah. And honestly, since that day, I've not had a comp- wow. compulsion or desire to drink. And that was my burning bush. Yeah. And I, was, wow. I was a daily hardcore drinker up to that point. Yeah. And, and, that, and that's what did it. And what's really interesting wow. about our book in the prologue. Yeah is my father was in a bad accident a few years ago. And we'd already started writing the book, and I was with my stepsister. It happened in Texas. And um, we dad was in ICU, and he'd gone to sleep for the night. So we were driving to go out to dinner, and my sister's name's Chandler. Chandler said, so I hear you're writing a book. And I go, yeah. And she goes, well, what's it about? So I kind of told her, and she goes, that's really interesting. Her father is a noted psychiatrist in Houston. Hmm. And she goes, a few months ago, I went out for dinner with dad, and I was asking him, if you could sum up psychiatry, how would you sum it up? And he went on and on, and she goes, no, dad. She goes, sum it up in a sentence. 
and she's and he said he goes if I know the relationship a child had with his or her mother, then I can help that person. Hmm. And, and I almost pulled off the road. Wow. I go, you, you just summed up our entire book <laughs> yeah. right there. And yeah. you start thinking about all your, you know, your experiences or the people you talk to, it always goes back to childhood no matter what. Mm-hmm. Most of the time it goes back to relationship with the mother. Yeah. And mine was abandonment issues, obviously. Yeah. And um, I go, it's just an amazing statement that was made. Mm. And that became a prologue. It, we weren't even thinking about putting that in the book. And all of a sudden, that became a huge emphasis mm-hmm. of the book right at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Well, and then you also, after we met, went to Ed. So you yeah. did some more work. And I did some more work when I met Adrian. Um, and his name was Ed because I was going to walk in and deal with Adrian and three teenage girls. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm up for sainthood. Yeah. There's a, there's a special place in heaven. There, there is. And the first day I walked in and to meet the girls, you know, they were the way they used to communicate, they used to yell. Mm. So they all yelled. They had a St. Bernard that was barking, a golden retriever that was oh, barking. Man. They're yelling. And I'm typically a pretty quiet person. I almost walked out. They're like, oh, man. I got, I got like a muck lifestyle going on right then. And uh, and I went to Ed and I go, I don't know, Ed. And so Ed talked me through it. And he taught me to be a different person and to be honest. And I sat Adrian down and I told her about every relationship, every affair, mm-hmm. every bad thing I've ever done in my life. And her jaw just hit the table. <laughs> and I go, well, I just, I blew that relationship. And she, you know, she goes, well, let me think about all this. And, you know, who knows? She didn't throw me out, yeah. and uh, we ended up together. And it's amazing where honesty will get you. Yeah. yeah. So you kind of did a four step with That's her, a fifth step with her. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. exactly. I, I laid it on the line. Yeah. Wow. I'd never done that before, and it, and it wasn't pretty. In our book, it you know we don't look like saints in our book sure. at all. Sure. Well. It, it that book, it, it, you know, warts and all, we're in there. Mm-hmm. And because uh, we did things we're not proud of, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, we didn't hold back. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it's it's pretty open. Honesty. Once you get honest, yeah. it's hard to stop. You know. I mean, once you kind of yeah. Once you once you adopt that lifestyle yeah. right. and say this is how I'm going to be, I, I imagine it would be hard to write and omit things or or pull back. You know. Well, that's that's what we said, and we and we didn't. As you'll read, or if you have read, I mean, yeah. we didn't hold anything back, and it's all out there. And um, and we we most people were very encouraging, and we had one gentleman who knew my family pretty well and uh, he was actually a time correspondence reporter for mm. 25 years and um, he said I'm going to discourage you from writing this letter and I writing this book and I go well why is that and he goes well you're going to make your life very public and you're a pretty private family mm. and I think you're going to regret it and so we Adrian and I had to talk about it for you know a day or so and we decided we're going to do this. We're going to put it out there, and we're going to put it all out there. We're not going to, mm-hmm. you know, half-ass it. We're we're going to lay it on the line because it's the only way. Our books, we put our book out there to help people, and it's yeah. an inspirational book and it's a hopeful book. Absolutely. And so, so we we laid it right on the table, and we didn't leave anything. So, well, and you know, you know, I've, I've mentioned I haven't read it yet. Um, obviously, the excerpt I've read and 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 listening to you talk now, I mean. I think it's terrific. I mean, there's there's no shame to be had. Um, you know, certainly where you've come from and now what you've done, um, you know, with your lives, I think is, you know, astounding and, and wonderful mm-hmm. and um, certainly part of what seems to be coming more and more the norm in recovery is, is this notion of recovering out loud, of not of not 
keeping it in the shadows, you know? Um, right. And it's liberating and it's, um, and it is, it's support, it's supportive for others for, you know, there's some people that can't tell their stories and for the people that can, um, you know, bravo for telling them. Right. It, it's a great, it's an um, example for others out there. And, right. and that, and that's why, that's why we did this. Like if we can do it, you can do it too. And right. this is what we did. And, and we've done a lot in recovery. I mean, we both sponsored a lot of people mm-hmm. and been active and, um, yeah. And, and it's, it's, you know, turned into a way of life for us. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I actually have one friend in St. Louis, actually. And because of her business, she doesn't want people to know. And I'm like almost shocked because I, I'm just so open about mm-hmm. it. And I, I've been open about it from day one. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I just figured this is what recovery looks like. Yeah. So how are you going to attract people to recovery if you don't let them know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And at the end of the book, we say, and we said it from day one, say, you know, if this book helps just save one person, then it was worth the journey. Absolutely. And, and we firmly believe that. And the only yeah. way that can happen is if we, we tell our stories and you tell your stories mm-hmm. and, you know, congratulations to you guys for the podcast and all that you're doing for the community. It's amazing. Well, and that, that parallels ex- pretty much what, um, you know, we say about the podcast, if one person finds value in it and it helps one person, um, if only one person listens yeah. and, and it helps, then we'd keep doing it, right? Yeah. Um, right, exactly. And uh, so, yeah, I, I think it's phenomenal. I think it's terrific to tell what, you know, is clearly, you know, just based on what I know, just, you know, painful stories, traumatic story. Um, but there's like a tremendous amount of hope, particularly mm-hmm. together, what you've found and what you've done with your recovery is pretty mm-hmm. amazing. Well, and that, and that's you know the one thing different about our book is you know I could have told my story which is you mm-hmm. know it's it's a fairly common story Adrian's story is a lot more unique than my story mm-hmm. but there aren't any tandem stories like this out there at yeah. least we discovered any and that's why we decided to do it if it was just mm-hmm. one of us you know it wouldn't be all that great but the tandem <laughs> the way it's written and it goes back and forth and the yeah. parallels that we had in our life that's what makes it unique that's what makes it special that's yeah. what makes it different. And that's that's the appeal to the book. And mm-hmm. did you both write your parts, or did you both write the whole thing together? We we had, we had a ghostwriter write this for us, but okay. we but we basically were word for word with him on mm-hmm. the entire. Gotcha. We're so, not we're not writers. So. Right. So the so, process was you just got all of this out some way, recorded it, whatever, and then kind of sat down and had well, we someone had just lot, put this together. We had an awful lot of material. Um, yeah. There was Adrian's brother actually did a screenplay about her story, and she had her parents on tape. Um, so, so our ghostwriter had um, a whole had, bunch of material. Oh, I got you. Yeah, had the screenplay. Uh-huh. I've done some um, AA talks that we had on CD. He had that. Um, he had all. It, basically, we threw everything in a kitchen sink. And then we pulled it all back out and made the story out yeah. of it. And then wow. hours and now, hours and hours, hours of interviews. Hours. And we met with him and he's in hmm. uh, New Hampshire. His name's James. And, um, and so, but we, it's our stories and he yeah. just, he wrote it for us. So. That's cool. Was there anything that you, uh, you know, it's like you go back and read the big book and you like reread stuff and find new stuff. And every time you read it, something pops out. Was there something about your stories as you guys are going through this that you didn't remember or that was like traumatic to relive again? Or was it just you guys were so far past all that that it just was time to write it? No, I, I you know what? If I, I could read certain parts that I could start crying right now. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Very easily. I st- I still, it's very hard for me to look at the pictures of the mm. day I was yeah. taken away. Mm. 
I mean, I still have a hard time looking. Yeah. I, mm. I kind of, I mean, it's way easier now than it was before I, you know, went to beat mm -hmm. the pillow. But um, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it's still hard. Yeah, and it, it, it was very therapeutic to write it. But yeah. we're, we're getting calls and emails. And Adrian got an email the other day from a childhood friend of hers you know, who said, you know, my mom was on the front lawn when they were dragging you out of the house. Wow. And, and so we're having, and I, I heard from my stepsisters just last weekend on, from my stepfather, who we could care less about, but they, they remembered us and somehow or another, they got hold of the book and read it and oh, wow. said, what a great job on the book. And we realized what all you went through and you, you poor kids and nobody was there to help you guys. And mm -hmm. it's like, oh my God, this came out of the blue. I haven't talked to him and 40 years, 45 wow. years. Wow. And uh, so that kind of stuff, it comes back yeah. and, and you're not really ready for some of it. Mm -hmm. It comes yeah. back and go, oh my God. And then other people go, this is an important book. Mm -hmm. And we have people who are helping us, you know, go, you need to talk to this person, talk to this person to get it out here. So we're all sorts of emotions and reactions. Yeah. But it's still really good. I mean, yeah. it's all good at the end of the day. Yeah. I've had a friend call. She's concerned about her daughter, and mm -hmm. she reached out to me. and And that's what we want to do. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, we want people to reach out, and yeah. if we can help in any way, or if we don't know, you know, put them with that person. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, that's what recovery is about. Yeah. I mean, and so speaking of daughters and, and children, if it's okay to to talk a little bit about it, um, mm -hmm. your own daughters, what what sort of uh, uh, how do you talk about it with with your own children? Recovery, recovery, or... and and addiction, and the the you know the, there's a family predisposition there. Yeah. Well, um, how... um, you know, my three girls. Um, my oldest now is 26, and the next one is 23, and then 22. And um, I don't. I don't, they've all been to AA meetings with me. Okay. I don't really have any concerns about any of them because, um, let's put it this way, they're well aware there's a genetic component. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't, um, I don't know how to say it. I, I don't have any fear. Like I yeah. know if any of them were to have a problem someday, Hmm. that I know that they know where to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the only reason, not to, not in a, a sort of a voyeuristic sense or, or to pry, but a big part of why I started doing this is, you know, I have a, a five-year-old, and, um, you know, early on when she was born, I was you know, beside myself half the time, I think. You know, I used to say on early episodes, uh, episodes of the podcast that, I would rehearse my my speech, my my sort of script, and I was I was constantly revising it um, in her early years about when it was time, what I'd say, and how I'd say it, and um, you know I think uh, you know, and I told you a little bit of this in the pre-calls, like being outside the rooms and not really having a deep um, recovery uh, system. You know, Jeff, I've known throughout most of my my sobriety. Um, was it for a long time. And so I, I sort of felt like I, I had to figure this out and had to be ready as soon as she was born. So a big part of what I'm always interested in is how parents in recovery um, think about and talk to their, their children you about know, it. It's interesting because like I, you know, 
one of my daughters had, I don't know, she was drunk or something. You know, mm. the teenage years, they, you know, they've all had their sure. um, situations. I mean, nothing, you know, terrible. But, you know, I've had people in recovery, like I say, after one incident, send them to treatment. Right. And it's like, no, that wasn't appropriate. <laughs> I right. mean, that's overreacting. Yeah. So I think everyone has their their opinion. I mean, I do know someone who does interventions, and you know, I didn't do this because I was trying to get sober at the same mm-hmm. time that maybe they were, you know, in the throes of experimenting. Right. But right. they, you know, the one suggestion is clearly like wait as long as you can before you even drink because of the brain mm-hmm. and yeah mm-hmm. so yeah someone just tell us that if you can keep them out of drugs and alcohol remember right until yeah. they're 21 the because cash. of yeah. the yeah. formation of the brain and all that stuff it's so much better and you have less chance of becoming addicted or something mm-hmm. yeah. it seems really hard yeah exactly. <laughs> like really <laughs> Jeez. Uh, but but you know that's one good thing about aa at least it worked for me is that you know a friend of mine calls aa a living room yeah you can go and share, and it's like coming down to breakfast with your family. Mm. You go in and share, and it'd be funny. It can be sad, but but somebody's been through what you've been through before. Yeah, it's somewhere, and they can kind of help you talk you through it. And that's why you have sponsors, or that's why the groups work. And um, yeah, it, it it just it it worked well for me. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. um, and it's it is it's like a living room. Mm-hmm. That's cool. It teaches you how to live. I, I mean, my youngest daughter, I read the promises to her every night, that poor child. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> well so done. Like, and the yeah. people we brought over to our house to, you know, to yeah. sit for them or to work on the house, they're all from the program. Oh, and wow. There's some kooky people in the program. <laughs> there <laughs> are. Honestly, they could write a book. Yeah, about, right. all, the, <laughs> about all the characters in, from AAA, especially in St. Louis. And yeah. it's like, That's man, cool. all these weird people, but they couldn't have been nicer, you know? Yeah. That's awesome. Well, cool. Yeah, in, in a way, you know, we're all three of us are dads, and that genetic predisposition—the fact that we are in recovery—and as as you said, having those resources and knowing where to go and mm-hmm. being able to speak about it in a verse way is—it's yeah. uh, a huge. I like reading the promises. Benefit. Though. That's yeah, funny. Do that tonight. Yeah, a little bedtime story. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right, Here's boys. What happens when you don't drink? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, we'll do how it works. <laughs> They'll be like, what? That's funny. All right, well, we'll blame you when all our kids are saying, why are you reading this to me? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but, blame me. Um, well, hey, uh, so your book, The Painting of the Piano, is uh, out now, and it's available on Amazon. Yep, Am- Amazon, um, and it's Kindle. Um, on eBooks, it's available on Kindle, Nook, and Apple iBooks. Um, our website, our website is uh, painting piano.com and there are a few more newspaper articles there and some reviews about the book and you can order the book from there too and and we're starting to gain a lot of traction so we're in some stores we just got into a store in st louis left bank books right that's right nice yeah Yeah, we just got in there last week awesome you guys have to come back and do a left bank books you know a little signing or something we're we're thinking about doing it next month actually that would be terrific you'll have to let us know let us know we'll come out we will. We oh, have, that would be awesome. We have we have two TV stations we're going to do interviews with. Nice. Oh man. 
and with Jamie Allman maybe um, yeah. an interview with us. So um, next month. So that would that would be very cool to hook up with you guys. That'd be awesome. Yeah. I'm usually there anyway. Yeah, um, I know exactly. The, so <laughs> that's Matt's fantastic. a left bank books regular. You know what's interesting? I'm going to tell a quick left wow. bank. So yeah, Kia. We become buddies with Kia down there, and sure. so we sure. just got in there and. Um, and so, and around the country, we're starting to gain traction here, which is good because it helps everybody. And Absolutely. At the, end, at the end of the day, we do this to help people. And that's, you know, that's the bottom line. And so. you know, what's fascinating about that? Here's my left bank, left bank books. And I actually wrote them an email last year, letting them know, played a role in my finding sobriety in that one. And I tell, I think I tell the story, um, on the site in my, in my story, but um, I was in there one Sunday after a brunch at uh, Balaban's, mm-hmm. which is a local place in this same neighborhood. Well, you as, go way back, don't you? Right, yeah, as, uh, as Left school. Bank Books. And yeah. after a, a multi-mimosa brunch on the Sunday, yeah. I was in Left Bank Books, which is part of the, 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 the routine. And uh, as I was standing by the door and they had their, their, their employees' picks, one of the picks was a book called, and I'm sure you're familiar with it drinking a love story yeah. um and i was in so inside my own yeah. alcoholic head yeah up my own alcoholic yeah. ass i at love the time. drinking too. i looked at it and i and i literally remember <laughs> thinking great somebody who likes drinking as much as i do <laughs> and, and i picked it up yeah. i didn't read the the jacket and i took it home and bought it with all, whatever other books i was buying and <laughs> i i read it um like the next week and with a slowly dawning realization that um, I think I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> and actually, and by the time I was done, I'm like, this is my problem. Yeah, I am yeah. an alcoholic. That's and a... I mean, it, it hit right at a time when I was yeah. definitely in uh, the downward spiral. Yeah. And, uh, you know, telling it sounds yeah. a lot lighter and, and funnier, but yeah. um, I was definitely right place at the right time. And uh, that's interesting. So, Left Bank Books, uh, yeah. that, that's terrific. That, that's, yeah. in some ways, it's divine intervention. You're right. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's what your book will do for somebody. Exactly. You that's know? exactly You'll it. You'll be like, I have a piano. Let me read this book. <laughs> I like Holy cats. <laughs> I'm Wait a second. <laughs> or I'm, I'm a painter. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, it's been uh, terrific yeah. having you two on. Please let us know uh, when you get here. I'm not even going to say if. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll definitely come out and. Uh, Get the book. Yeah, and I, let us I know if there's anything we can do for you uh, from here, because we're here. Thank you very, very all right. Wish you all the best. All right. All right. It's thank a, you, and you as well. It always sounds awkward to say, but it has been a pleasure. It's been great having you on and getting to know you a bit. So thank you, too. Thank you. Right. Thank you. you too. Godspeed. Intervention.